Guys, what's going on? This is Jeremy Vanderloop. You are here at the Cress Let's Get Coffee podcast. I'm here with one of our early members, uh, joined uh, pre-launch, right? Yeah. And uh, this is our, our friend Leo Janko. And uh, did I say that right? Because that yes, rhymes. Yes. Leo Janko. I like that. I actually never said it that quick together. So your, your name is one of my favorite names. Um, he's, we also call him Dr. Leo, and he absolutely loves it. <laughs> and Professor <laughs> no, Leo. No, uh, <laughs> So Leo, uh, Leo teaches. You are on staff at the University of Tampa. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have your doctorate, you have your PhD. Yes. In criminal... Criminology. 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 Yeah, in criminology. And so you teach or you're a professor of criminology, but I was corrected saying you're not a true professor until you're a professor. Until and you're I'm, a full professor. So I, what's the difference between so a professor and full professor? This is technically you should be looking at the system overseas across the pond in Europe where okay. you don't start out as professor. You start out as a lecturer and then you make your way up to professor. It's so confusing. It is. So in the United States, instead of having the same system, we decided to go with assistant professor, associate professor, full professor. So what's yours? I am an assistant teaching professor. So I'm not a tenure professor yet. Okay. Um, So there's assistant teaching now. So now we have subtask and subsidiaries. Yeah. So there are like two tracks of professors now that are, it's like a current trend in education right now. You have one that focuses on operations and teaching and um, one that focuses on operations and research. So, do you love teaching? Yes, yes, you, I do. You can say no. We're we're very oh, well, open here. <laughs> so uh, I love teaching to a point. That I I think that's in every professor teacher's response is I love teaching yeah. to a point. Um, it is it gets overwhelming depending on the types of students you have. Got it. Yeah, and because my students change every semester, it's it's uh like oh, do you like your students this year? I'm like this semester. <laughs> This semester. Because <laughs> yeah. you never know about next semester. So let, let's kind of unravel some of this, man. So so you are you are from Texas. Mm-hmm. And we know you're from Texas because you have a big hat. Yes, yes. <laughs> what, part, what part of Texas are you from? I'm from Houston, Texas, but specifically Kingwood, Texas. Kingwood, Texas. Yeah. Texas. Have, did you enjoy growing up in Texas? Oh, very much. Yeah? Um, I, li- I didn't really live inside Houston, so Kingwood was a small town about... 20, 30 minutes away from the city limits. Um, And it was very nice to live out there because even though it was, uh, some people would say suburbia, Mm -hmm. it doesn't operate as suburbia. It's it's a small town where there's nothing really around. You have trees, forests, um, and it was great. I loved it because I knew the people on my street. I knew the high schools. We had one high school. How many people are in your town? Now? No, no. Oh. Then when you grew up, how many people? Oh, when I grew up, I think, uh, I want to say about 5,000. 5,000. So that is a small town. Yeah. It, well, yeah. I, I believe it was 5,000 at the time when, like, the 90s. I, I really would not know. Man, one of my favorite things, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Was traveling. When, you know, you know, I traveled a lot, right? No. no. Oh, well, uh, for your career, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used to travel nonstop. I love small town America. Yes. They're yes. just like just good people. They're right outside of major cities. And those, t- those towns between five to 15,000, 20,000 people, man, like they're little town centers, right? <laughs> yeah, we have one. And you go, yeah, of course you do. Every little small town in America has a little town center and they're awesome. And so, well, sometimes they're not awesome. Sometimes they're still, but they're being re- revitalized right now. 
what in the last decade. Well, a little coffee shop, too little much. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so so you enjoyed growing up in Texas. What what was the average day in the life of Leo when you were at, say at middle school, teenage? What did you do in Texas? Oh gosh. Um. So despite what people think, I did not own horses uh, or land. Uh, I think of like Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, well. No, no. No. Uh, one of the big problems kidding, that people think is we have money to afford all this stuff to take care of animals. Um, but we did have an FFA. Um, but I went to a choice school, uh, which didn't have that option for me, unfortunately. But Because um, you, 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 you love, you love, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no you're so, fine. I, 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 it's bad when I actually know the person because then I can just, I feel like I'm <laughs> jumping in. <laughs> Um, cause you, 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 you love, uh, you love nature, right? I do. I Conservative. do. So did, did that, that love for nature and, and, and creation, did that come from growing up in Texas? Yes. Specifically my town. So Kingwood's motto is a li- livable forest. Um, and so each neighborhood was hidden behind trees. Um, and we had these things called green belts which were sidewalks Mm -hmm. that connected everything. Um, And they were made so people didn't have to walk on the streets or cross the street to go to a elementary school, middle school, high school, a convenience store, and so on. And these green belts were actually in wood patches. Oh, wow. At the end of our main street, Kingwood Drive, was a a nature-preserved park. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a bunch of wildlife when I was young. I remember driving down to the grocery store and three nights out of the week, you would have to wait for a deer to cross. Okay. Um, it was great. It was beautiful. Um, and so, and I really enjoyed it. We had multiple, we called them ditches. Um, some people call the big one, the bayou. Um, but kids would go on there and just explore, ride dirt bikes, four-wheelers, just do whatever, use them to travel. Um, but around in 1994, I believe, Houston bought it. Um, and Hold on, what did they buy? They the bought town? Kingwood, yes. They bought the town. They bought the town. The city bought the town. Okay, yes. all right. Fun fact, we're not connected to Houston, though. It's weird. We're, we're, we're separated by another city called Humble. Okay. Um, and what's the strange thing is when they bought it, they said they're going to preserve how the town operates. It didn't I've happen. I've never heard of a city bought. So the town went solvent then or insolvent where they didn't have any funds and they had to be purchased. No, no. The, I guess the owners just sold it. Hold on. Someone owned the town. Someone owned the town. And they, so they built, so this is a suburb that they built. It's a neighborhood they built. It's not a suburb. How did they, so you guys owned the house. What are they, so they owned the streets? I'm, I, I, I don't know me, how me that being works. in real estate development, I am very intrigued because I've, I've never heard of this. Maybe yeah. I'm just too young in development, but that seems a strange thing. Yeah, they annexed a small town. We had our own city council. We had our own uh, fire okay. department, our own police department, our town center. They probably ran out of money. I have no idea. Yeah. You were um, a kid when it happened, right? Yes, so, I was yeah. three years old. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bet you they, they ran out of money. They needed they needed infrastructure. Put no, because I, ha- no. I, ha- I have heard of they that. They had though. so much support from the Did community. Though. All right, all right. It, uh, it, I don't know this the actual story of it because I was I so young. This what was the town again? Kingwood, Texas. Kingwood, uh, yeah. Um, all right. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and so they said they were going to preserve it, but over the years, slowly but surely, they decided to change it. Um, they tore down a lot of um, woods and forests. Uh, for developments, they pushed suburbia, which Kingwood, old Kingwood, 
didn't look like suburbia. Um, if you imagine just driving through a national park, that is what it looked like. Okay. Um, because it, the idea was to preserve the woods because you're, you're the livable forest. Um, but that went out the wayside when Houston wanted more residents. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably needed more residents or something. I don't know. I'm not defending Houston. This is a long yeah. time ago. Um, and so that, this that, is what, this was what inspired you to, you love nature yeah, growing up in this way. Cause I, I, I went outside and I played in it, but then you, but then you saw the trees kind of get taken down and that. Yes. That started in high school. I've noticed a lot of devel- developments and mm-hmm. I was not okay with it. Yeah. Um, what bothered you about it? Uh, that's where my childhood memories were, okay. uh, mainly, but at the same time, the, image of Kingwood was also being destroyed. Okay. The the idea that you drove into a forest to get to the town. It sounds like a cool town. Gone. Oh, yeah. So is that gone now? Like, you go there and it just looks like Wesley Chapel? Uh, no, thankfully. Um, there's still... No offense to Wesley Chapel. I love Wesley <laughs> Chapel. They were just pastors before, so it's, it's not like it was a bunch um, of... <laughs> so <laughs> it, there, there is still that forest aspect Chapel? on Sorry. the main roads. Yeah. Um, North Park and Kingwood Drive, mainly because it's a lot of money to widen the roads. Mm. Um, and there's still, and some of the houses go up to the streets, like the backyard. So you can't really expand because you'll be invading someone's property. Yeah, they'd have to do like eminent domain. Yeah. They, they buy it back. Um, which people are not going to allow that to happen. That's, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you get that aspect. But the problem is, the patches of forests that you would see around where you can explore and travel, all gone. So the amount of tree patches that give you that forest feel Mm -hmm. is slowly depleting. Okay. Um, At the same time, there is a county on top of us, Montgomery County, Mm -hmm. that wanted to capitalize on the growth of Kingwood that Houston was pushing. And so they tore down the whole entrance on North Park um, all the pastures and trees out there to build large grocery stores, a movie theater. Yeah, infrastructure. Yeah, yeah and, for people. And for people to go to. Yeah. Um, problem is that attracted so much mm-hmm. that the essence of Kingwood started losing that small town feel. How do you think that, that they could have done it differently from the outside looking in? Um, to have kept that culture, but I don't know what was going on, but I know we're experiencing something very similar in Tampa mm-hmm. where there's just an immense growth, a population boom, an explosion. Well, was it Wesley Chapel annexed into Tampa? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I have to look into that. Uh, I used to know those type of things, but off the cuff, I don't know. Uh, I thought Wesley Chapel was it was autonomous. I thought it's 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 mm-hmm. Pasco County. It is, it is in Tampa city limits. It's a weird Tampa map. There may there may be a part of it because I know most of it's Pasco, and Tampa's pretty consolidated as to what it is. Like you could go like that way, like five minutes, and you're in Hillsborough County. Um, so that's weird. That's kind of an interesting thing because you you basically have municipality ju- jurisdictions. You have it somewhere in Lutz. There's this county line between mm-hmm. Hillsborough. In Pasco, and most of Wesley Chapel and Lando Lakes is in Pasco County. Yep. But it might have a Tampa address. So there, you could, that's the weirdest thing about like streets and addressing. You can have a Tampa address, but be in a county and not be in Tampa proper. So what that means is that you have the address, but all of your infrastructure, your voting, your, 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 your you know, so there's, they're like, I can vote in the city of Tampa. 
for the mayor, for city council, all those other things. Somebody who's living literally a rock star that way, like five minutes that way is in the county. They cannot vote for the city officials. I can't vote for the city. I don't live yeah, in the city. Exactly, right? So, But you have a Tampa address, I yes, bet. Yes, I have a Tampa address. So that's address. what we're talking about. So yeah. you're in Tampa. So West. So that might. So yeah, it's probably a Tampa address, but they're not in the city of Tampa. But they have their address for Tampa. Wesley, so, Wesley Chapel, I know, is in the city limits. I looked at it during the COVID times. Really? Yep. Yeah. Send that to me. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So they they have this weird river thing that went up there. Yeah, it's yeah. a very narrow <laughs> limit, um, and then it just suddenly bloom uh, blooms into. Well, like that's a great balloon. for Tampa. Yeah. That's a huge tax revenue bump for it Tampa. Is. It is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we, that's the thing about these podcasts. We get to be talking about random things, and you'll say something like, "Wait, wait what?" And uh, so, I mean, good for Tampa if they were able to do that, man. Mm-hmm. Good, good revenue. Then maybe that's why they're they're doing that big connection point that everyone's not lawning the interstate, <laughs> right? They're connecting <laughs> Wesley Chapel, and uh, my neighborhood's been really, really excited about that for the last ten years. Um, they're not at all, uh, but you know, it is like so. That's the whole thing. Is like we're in a very intimate community um, here in Tampa. Our neighborhood is very connected, and and people hey, they hate growth, right? Mm-hmm. They hate change. They hate development they hate and but at the same time if you don't have it it's be, it become it, 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 you need it and so i think there's this delicate dance between growth affordability new building uh preserving the old i mean we're sitting in buildings that were supposed to be torn down and and my company we we, we preserved them and preserved the legacy and the heritage here and created a new and adaptive reuse to these buildings that hopefully will now stand for another 70 years and so you know my heart on this. Like, I, I want to. How do we preserve our culture? How do we preserve our cities? How do we preserve our small towns? But also, you know, the I, I love being outside. I love it. I mean, that's why I have a golf membership. I'm horrible at golf, but I go because the the, the club I'm a member at. It's a it's a it's a preservation, so I can go see big old gators and stuff. Just hanging out. I love it. Like I'm literally outside all the time. My wife can attest to that. Like my kids can attest to it. I got fire pits all over my, my backyard. Um, I got, yeah, I have a, my own deck off my bedroom that allows me to sit outside. So I am, I am, I'm cut by the same cloth of the, I know you love being outdoors. And uh, we'll kind of segue into that um, a little bit because I want to talk about, about you being a professor and how you got into criminology mm-hmm. and all the above. But I, I know you, you're launching your own podcast too. And yeah. so we're, we're cut. Have you launched it? Have you released it? Really? Uh, when did you release it? I need to... September. Oh my, I'm so sorry. I'm a bad friend. <laughs> did you ever text me a link? Yes. You did? Yes. When? Prove so, it. Prove um, it. I'm just kidding. I first, I did send you the first two episodes to preview. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry, Leo. It's okay. <laughs> you do realize I have no excuse. I, 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 I'm, You're busy, man. I'm like drowning. Like I've got four kids. So I'm so sorry, but we're going to promote your podcast, and I'm going to go and listen to them before I release this. Well, uh, it's a uh, it's it's it was rough creating the first season. So how many yeah. how many episodes did you do? Uh, nine. 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 Okay. Um, just just because it's like that's all I could poop out. Um, as a professor, is, so. is there another way to say that? Um, uh, it's the only it's uh. It's the amount that I could create in I'm the time assuming, I had. I'm assuming your <laughs> podcast is way more valuable than how you just described it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, unless it's a podcast on that. And no, then we can no, discuss no, that. no, 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 uh, uh. <laughs> so, no. So what's your podcast on? Because I, I just, I, you know, you come to the Crest Chats. You always have great conversations. And I just love how you're, I feel like you're like a lifelong learner. And I, that's mm-hmm. what I, whenever I interact with you. Um, and so what, what is your podcast about that you, that you released? 
So my podcast is about environmental politics, like the politics that you would hear on the news, mm-hmm. um, politics at the local state level. Um, and I try to spin it for conservatives. Specifically for environmental? Yes. Okay. Um, can we put a pin in that? Yes, we can put a pin in that. All right, because now, because I'm curious, because I feel like we're, I'm trying to figure out this roadmap because I'm really learning the depths of you, Leo. This is awesome. <laughs> so you grew up in Texas. Go, go to your college years. You went to school. Got your PhD mm-hmm. in criminology. Yeah. What is criminology? Criminology is the philosophy of crime. We okay. asked the question, why does crime exist and what is crime? And it's not why someone would commit crime. It's why does crime exist? Okay. That is a question that criminologists try to answer. Now, there are other people who uh, we classify as criminologists um, who are more criminal justice focused. So why does crime exist? They focus on, um, well, before you get to that, <laughs> just so kidding. I don't confuse people. <laughs> those people focus more on how someone commits a crime and how we deal with it through the system. Like their intent? Yes. Okay. Um, that's that's people who focus more on individuals um, and the criminal justice system and how mm-hmm. you respond to it, policing, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, criminologists want to understand what conditions in society provides the opportunity, motivations, incentives mm-hmm. for crime to happen. Um, and that can be at a micro or macro level. So it's kind of like anthropology. Yes. Is, yes. It is, is a subsidiary of anthropology? No, it's actually a subset of sociology. Okay. But over the years, we realized that um, anthropological approach also helps. So we try to be interdisciplinary okay. in our approach. Yeah. So you're studying both the cultures, the anthropology, and the sociology of the ecosystem of humanity, of culture, of how, and then, and then you're, you're specializing in why do people commit crimes or why, 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 what is crime? Yes. So, um, we look at the history of culture and how we operate society and Mm -hmm. how that relates to behavior that doesn't necessarily fit the rest of society. So, there are multiple theories of what crime is. Mm-hmm. Some people think it's just a violation of law and leave it at that. No way. Others argue, well, if crime is the breaking of law, why did that law exist? Outlaw, yeah. yeah. How did it um, outlaw that behavior? Mm-hmm. And so this is where we get to the idea of what is typical and normal behavior, what everyone operates in and deviant behavior that is no longer part of the norm. It's, it's malicious behavior at the expense of others. Not necessarily. Well, that's, I mean, and how my mind sees it, which is why I'll, let's have a great conversation. Yeah, so right? that is the top eight index crimes. Okay. Those are the malicious yeah. crimes that you're talking about. It's that intentional. You, yes, that, you're, yeah. uh, that you know. But then you have the unintentional crimes. Yeah, you have the unintentional crimes. So, for instance. But it's still a crime. It still hurts somebody. used to be a crime. Yeah. And, yeah. but that wasn't malicious. Yeah. That, that, that union isn't malicious per se. Um, pornography is not necessarily, well, depending on who you talk to, um, is not malicious. Um, but yet that is outlawed in certain states. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea of looking at why there is legal code outlawing those behaviors. Okay. So, so to kind of dialogue with it, it's like how I would then define crime, like on a macro level is harming another individual for Mm -hmm. your own selfish gain or for your own gain or harming an individual 
even unintentional, uh, unintentionally, but you're still harming something or somebody in society. And it's creating some form of harm or perceived harm. For most people, that is what crime is. Okay. Um, but for many criminologists, we realize that crime can far exceed that sort of Let's dive deep into that. I'm curious because that's, I just define it. Like, literally, I've never thought of this before. Mm-hmm. And so I just define it how I, as someone in society, would define crime. So right? crime, so from my perspective, crime is a way where governments can message to society what is acceptable behavior and what is not acceptable behavior. And that can range from hurting someone mm-hmm. to resource allocation. Mm-hmm. Who, like, for instance, antitrust laws. Mm-hmm. Um, that was designed so resources were not monopolized under certain companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so we outlawed that behavior. It, while we saw malicious, intent, like, malignant uh, symptoms, uh, the idea of it technically wasn't malicious. malicious. They were just operating. They were operating, operating the way they were supposed to in a capitalist yeah. society. Mm-hmm. Um, we said, okay, well, that's technically not fair, so we need to break that Let's up. Let's try to regulate it. Yes. Right? Let's break this up. So you're talking about monopolies and those yeah. type of things. So from the 1800s. Um, and one of my go-tos AT&T, is those type of things. The, there was a study by Ellison in 2012 on the, called the King's Deer. So in England, mm-hmm. uh, they outlawed hunting. Yeah, I remember this. Because they, the king believed the poor was using hunting as a means to gather and um, conspire against him. Even though pe- uh, peasants, um, yeah, peasants, peasants, yeah, were just hunting for food, so he literally said, "This is my land. You can no longer hunt on it." So the peasants wouldn't gather, um, and I'm quoting here, uh, so they wouldn't conspire against him. Mm-hmm. So he was paranoid, and there was yeah. probably some validity to it, but he outlawed the entirety of it yes. because of his fear of a little bit of validity, probably a small sect that was actually doing that. And we have no idea. We have no. We, we don't know, of but that. just knowing human nature, yeah. obviously, he caught wind of something happening, and then did the pendulum swing of what humanity does at their finest, and said, "You know what? I'm going to do a broad stroke." Yep. Because I'm the king. So, and a lot yeah. of that behavior wasn't hunting is not malicious. No. So, it's survival. Yeah, and so that's what I mean that when people think crime is doing something bad, that's not necessarily the that's case. true. Because then, because you're going to get into because there, there's some laws or some thing that, that we dictate as criminal, like in, in certain cultures, right? Some people aren't able to believe in certain ways or they get mm-hmm. killed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times that's that's a level of persecution. Um, like speci- I think it's in Iran. Is it Iran or Iraq with the where the women are protesting? Yeah. 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 Um, where is that? I don't know off the top of my head. Where is it? Is it? Is it? Are they protesting in Iraq or is it Iran right now? I, I want to say it's... Iran, where it's the um, the head garments, yeah, where they do not want to wear them. And, I've read it, but yeah. I'm not I'm not familiar. And it's it so, happens so, it's, after a woman was killed by law enforcement for not wearing one, mm-hmm. and so women are now wearing their um, not wearing their hair ga- uh, head garments and burning them and protesting. Yeah, yeah, I was reading all about that. Yeah, well, and, and some of the yeah, and some of those 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 places over. I mean, we're discussing some of these 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 countries and laws in the Middle East. Um, where, uh, like, if you are not of a certain faith, if you're not uh, practicing, um, 
even even different Muslims that aren't practicing the right way and they perceive law, um, they're being you know beheaded and mm-hmm. and 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 people are being killed for their religious beliefs, their sexual orientation, um, all sorts of stuff, right? And so then then you come down to those that's that's the law over there. Yep. So you're studying that rather than like moralism and ethics. Uh, that's a different take on law. Yeah, Some yeah. people believe law is the embodiment of morals and ethics. Well, it's obviously not. It's it's <laughs> <laughs> when you when when we just described, right? So we go that's unethical mm-hmm. and immoral to kill somebody because they believe different than you. Yes. Right? Um that's a that, that's there's in in our minds in our hearts as Americans, you go how is that justifiable? So, wh- what would lead a society to see to say it's justifiable to kill another human being just because they perceive and believe something different? I do not think we will ever be able to see it from their perspective because of the different culture and structure that they have in other countries. Um, we can. I mean, I have theories, but I wanted yeah, to get we, your we take. I, I wanted to get your take on that. Um, Again, this is only because I have a Western perspective. Yeah, of course. Uh, usually we would say it's dominance mm-hmm. um, to protect the current structure, um, to protect whoever is in power. Like it's those, control. Those, those, yeah, those control. That, that is our perspective from a Western You mentioned nation. the king. He was, he was fearful, and so he, mm-hmm. he exercised a control and authority. Yeah. But if you come from a non-Western perspective, mm-hmm. um, they may have something different, mainly because the values that you inhibit will... Um, be expressed within your theoretical perspective. Of course. So they may have a completely different explanation why they do that. It's the backbone, right? So if you, if you, I've, um, you know, I've, I've studied a lot of beliefs and, um, and, and I love that. I love, I love, uh, hermeneutics. I love theology. I love processing through, you know, psychology and, and philosophy. And, um, you know, it's uh it's an interesting thing like and i've i've had some pretty amazing conversations i got friends that are muslim and buddhist and di- different things like that and it, it's such a fascinating thing to discuss uh radicalism to a degree right on any on any level and how it 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 moves generationally intrinsic to the very nature of the, a lot of these hierarchy positions and what then the hierarchy is basically what Whatever embodies government authority perceives as crime becomes crime. Yes. Whether it's moral or immoral, ethical or unethical, harms humanity or not, it's crime in that state, in that regime, in that, right? Correct. Yeah, and so so that's a fascinating thing to study as to why does crime exist. And what do you think is the foundational root? I mean, are we getting, are we kind of going down that path of like, in your opinion, what is foundational to why it something is criminal in one culture and celebrated another and not criminal in another? Uh, I think it comes down to the economy. Okay. Um, I wasn't yeah. expecting that. So you think it's economic? Yes. Um, so this comes from the uh, more critical Marxist perspective where okay. the economy is the foundation of our social structure. Um, and how we set up our economy, how we organize our business, how we operate our business relationships um, dictates what behaviors will be accepted and what will not. Uh, mainly behaviors that help maintain the operations of society, and what behaviors won't be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so other countries have a different focus within their economy. Maybe they're not focused on manufacturing or production in 
common goods. Maybe it's something else. And so the be- that will lay the foundation for their social structure, which will dictate which behaviors will be accepted and which won't be. So if, for instance, in the United States, behaviors that don't help you become a good worker are frowned upon, sometimes outlawed. Uh, for instance, school and truancy. Like it, technically, I, it's, it's, I think it's more of an infraction than illegal uh, for a student to not be in school, um, in high school and under. Uh, mainly because we use the school system to help kids be prepared for the real world to be a worker in society. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't like it when kids are not like, I don't want to learn today. Um, so that that's one example. In other countries, let's, if we want to go down that rabbit hole of like women, women don't go throughout school because their labor is not within the business area it's in home and home economics mm-hmm. um so therefore they will be more confined and the behaviors my, my apologies okay and the behaviors that they need to exhibit should help with that system and any behaviors outside of that could be outlawed or frowned upon so from my perspective and what i've researched um and the philosophy that i use I do believe the economy is the base in which we dictate which behaviors are good and bad. Yeah. And so, so are you a fan of capitalism or no? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. What is Marxism? So Marxism is... You mentioned that. So yeah, I so Marxism is a... a lot, well, some there, there's a debate on perspectives of Marxism. Uh, you have... My, I take on the perspective that there's two types of Marx. Okay. You have mature Marx and you have um, the philosopher Marx. Uh, Mature Marx is when he started writing more activist stuff. Okay. Um, And Philosopher Marx was someone who was just pure academic observational writing. Um, What causes a lot of the the breakdown and and where people, because it's, you know, um, and I try to, I I try to keep an open form, right? mm -hmm. Um, So what what, what do you think causes the breakdown with people who, because Marxism was the foundation for, a lot of communism, right? Yes. And socialism and those type of things was was built upon the the was it built on the philosophy or the activist portion of Marx? Um, neither. Neither. Okay. Define neither. that. Why? So there's a long history of socialism that far exceeds Marx. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Marx specifically had like when people refer to Marx, it's a specific critique of capitalism. Um, but a lot of people refer more to Marx's activist writing, uh, because of what he experienced in the private sector when he was trying to write and do stuff for paper, uh, for news articles and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, there, it's a fascinating history of what trans transferred him from being a philosopher to an activist. Um, and a lot of people use his, um, activist stuff to back their discussions, but the problem is when people do that, they don't understand the philosophy which he comes from. And what's the philosophy that he came from? So he saw that the capitalism had a mechanism within itself which would exploit labor for the um, benefits of profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that be through manual labor or decreasing wages of labor, so on and so forth. And why we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because of the relationship between production, manufacturing, and consumption. Um, So far, I'm still reading his 
I've read a lot of um, philosophy based on Marx, and so now I'm going to Marx right now, reading his capital, uh, Discapital books. Um, Marx had more of a libertarian approach. Okay. Um, although I need to look up the history of whether libertarian was a word back then. Um, he focused more on decentralizing the economy and governance. Okay. Not necessarily bringing it under one roof. Technically, that was Stalin and Lenin's philosophy mm-hmm. of socialism, where they argued that, well, they have the power, so they are the ones who should bring socialism, so yeah. you should give more resources to them do to you, spread out. Do you think that works? No. Okay. You saw that in, in Russia. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just asking, right? Because it's you, you, a, lot, a lot of, you know, Marxism's a bad word to a lot yes. of capitalists, right? Cap, well, it, you know? it's, it's because people, and it's, it's interesting because they, I, I don't know the history. I really want to research it at one point of why people do not say Stalin, Stalin and Lenin philosophy and they go to Marx. Mm-hmm. Even though Stalin and Lenin was based on Marx, it still deviated from the idea of decentralization. So was Marx, was he a fan of capitalism? In the philosophy age? I would, in the philosophy age... What, what was he trying to solve? What, was, what, what solution was he trying to create? He what was, was he trying perceiving? to create... He was, he was actually just trying to describe social change. Okay. That was all he was trying to do. He wasn't trying to figure out a, a, a new structure of economy or anything like that. He was focused on how capitalism was operating and what would bring its destruction. Okay. So for him, he wanted to understand why change happened in society. And it was when the what he called modes of production and means of production come in con, uh, combat with each other or conflict. Um, and from that, naturally, the conflict will destroy the system and a new one will pop up. That's how we got capitalism from feudalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and it's been discussed like that, where we know it was bad to have a king and queen ho- hoard all the resources when you're producing this work, you should gain the benefits from your labor. Um, and th- that was what he was trying to point at. It's like, it's like what you have like the, this almost this entrepreneurial revolution that we're experiencing in our generation, right? Mm-hmm. It's taking back... Uh, the risk position of the economy in taking market share, everyone through technology can have some level of entrepreneurial hobby even. Even if they Mm -hmm. work a W-2, they can still have some level of time, freedom, and relationships and money through entrepreneurial behavior. So it's almost like we're converting back to how in the early 1900s, the majority of rural America were entrepreneurs. They were farmers. Yes. what produced their large cities and, and, industrial, and, and, and industrial booms and things like that um, was honestly the Jews coming over in the early 1900s. They were it was illegal for them to own. So there's current right. It was illegal for them to own property in Europe. They came over here and came to New York, and they how they how they made money was through equitable contributions to society, making garments, building you know these different things. And so then they did that. And a hundred years later, now they're running New York and running a lot of the world economy. So one thing that Marx recognized that within capitalism, which would eventually lead to its downfall, is that within capitalism, the people who eventually win with the game of capitalism will start hoarding more resources just out of sheer purchasing power um, and the ability to lower costs and increase uh, profit. And because of that, it will start to monopolize again and again and again Mm -hmm. until there's some, a crisis happen some sort of change happens. Well, that, I would define that more as like hyper-capitalism. Well, 
there's different names for it. Yeah. For Marx, it was late stage capitalism. Yeah. And um, even though like we're past the stage of that he experienced, um, capitalism always has different stages depending on the crises and the resolution. Um, and the thing is, is capitalism is trying to find equilibrium between production and consumption. Mm -hmm. But due to the imbalance between who owns production and who actually consumes, mm -hmm. you're going to always run into a crisis at one point. Yeah. And so it's a matter and, of what, how the resolution comes and, about. And then there's the great equalizer of new technologies, new revolutions. Yes. Like, so with the dot-com boom, now we're in the e-com boom, mm -hmm. right? Um, you have all these booms that now there's a transfer of wealth. This wealth never leaves, it transfers hands. Who captures the transfer? And you know, where I stand, I think I think there's nothing perfect. But when you're looking at, you know, even what Marx was looking at and some of these other guys with capitalism and then the different, you know, infringements of capitalism and then socialism and communism, capitalism gives you your greatest shot of being able to actually grow and, and bridge and break generational poverty. Right. I talked to my friends from Colombia or Cuba, some of those things, and they're like, we could get to this life where we're at, and they're 35, 36. He said, but we'd have to work our entire lives, and this is all we would have by the time we're 70. He said, they come here within two years, three years, right? They've now, ex and be, it's because they had this opportunity. If they were willing to put forth the effort and diligence, they were able to actually produce revenue for their livelihoods that changed their lives and the, tra the, the trajectory of their family. Um, really by owning land and, and, and companies and just, and so it, it, it's a fascinating thing. So I, it's nothing, I don't think we have anything perfect, but I, I, what, I wasn't expecting that conversation to come out of this, yeah. which, was, which is, which is a phenomenal, this is a phenomenal dialogue. Which, which a fun fact, which a lot of um, progressive lefts don't understand the idea of socialism, technically the literature of socialist scholars like James O'Connor, socialism is a form of capitalism. As in, that is where capitalism eventually goes after certain after it reaches a period of so, uh, certain crises. That eventually there will be socialism, where you have the state intervene and maintain yeah. the relationships between production and consumption. Well, in base, it's a natural progression I mean, into socialism. You, you need social capital, like socialism, in and in, in, within capitalism, you just don't want it to outpace. You don't want it. To, you don't, you always, in my opinion, you want capitalism to be here. Because you need roads, you need schools, you need hospitals, you need infrastructure, you need these different things, mm -hmm. which is through taxation, and that creates movement. Um, I honestly think that, like, so many of our leaders need to have – they need to take some type of course in entrepreneurialism, though. Well, the, the thing they is, don't know uh, how to manage it. That doesn't go away in socialism. Yeah. A lot of – so socialism technically should only be focused on economic relationships. But a lot of people today – try to bring in social relationships into that and it screws up the relationships between um, big business corporations and competitive businesses mm -hmm. um, and people who consume. Socialism is strictly supposed to be on economic situations. Yeah. If, if you deviate from that, you ruin the whole relationship um, because people think like, oh, we won't have a free market. Not true. Look at Sweden who just switched to a free market um, because they realize complete government regulation was too much. And e even socialist scholars recognize that you can't have too much government oversight. Um, ooh. You're all right, dude. It's all right. I have not eaten today. Um, <laughs> and so socialism is going to be the end of capitalism, but yet still be a form of capitalism. It will be the next stage of capitalism, which brings us into a new economic era. So it will still be capitalism. You still have a free market per se, but there will be certain things that will be more... Do you think it's where America's going? 
oh, all societies will be going towards that. Yeah. Um, we see this over years. We see how the government has to step in when there is a crisis in the economy mm-hmm. because businesses do not step in themselves. Look at the Great Depression. Look at the Great Recession. We've always, during those crises, we always had the government step in because the businesses would not let off the gas. Yeah, they wouldn't. Yep. So eventually we will get to that era. Um, Not because we force it, which again, if you force this change into socialism, it's not going to work. The a government push for socialism is never going to work. Are we talking about like like the inflationary growth of, of yes. like how, how the fiat currency is losing value, and I mean so it, it's I, see my main concern with this is the the so right now we have we have the government stepping in on a social way right increasing rates doing all this stuff they're going to hurt the very people that they're trying to help exactly um, unfortunately and. You're, you're, I mean, I, I think we're seeing the middle class. We're, we're, we're in a battle for the middle class right now. Um, you have hedge funds, large sources of capital, governments that are invested into those. Um, I heard a statistic from a very uh, secure source um, about real estate, specifically in America, that 49.8% in Again, I haven't looked into this myself, but I believe the guy who said it because of his position in the world. Um, 40, 49.8% of all homes that hit the market were purchased by seven companies. Yes. And so, you know, I think we're getting ready to approach a totalitarianism line of thinking, uh, very similar to Europe, where mm-hmm. I think it's 16% of all properties owned by, uh, or uh, 90% of all properties owned by 16% of the population in Europe. And then most people rent. And then when that happens, uh, the American dream will pretty much collapse because the majority of Americans' wealth is built on their homestead. And that's the power of the American economy. And the global economy is the ability to own property and to own land and in so many different ways. But I think, I think we're literally watching that unless we can find a way through technology, through like NFTs or some of this fractional level of ownership, if you can... You believe in NFTs? Well, not, not necessarily, <laughs> but like that, that type of technology that allows... I, I believe in the structure of fractional ownership, right? Because mm-hmm. that, that's syndicated capital. So well, if, you can, if, you can, if you can... Let me, let me wrap on this thought real quick. So if you can, if you can create syndicated capital, right? Mm-hmm. So that's high net worth accredited investors coming together pulling their money together and buying an asset and being limited partner owners of an apartment complex. Mm-hmm. If you're able to do that through technology, through blockchain and some of these other things, but you can take that to the general population, even if they have to rent an apartment, say they can own 10% of that apartment and they're still an owner of that. So there's a dividend, there's a breakout, those type of things when it sells. They can technically, if they're smart enough with enough diligence, they can still have the tools through technology to own 10% of a thousand square foot apartment. So basically to own a hundred square feet of that apartment, because as you're competing with these guys that have almost unlimited resources of capital, then the average Joe will not be able to buy a house. First time home buyer homes, right? 400,000 or less are being gobbled up left and right by these giant hedge funds. And I, my main concern is the, if government tries to step in to do something, they're going to create a regulation that is going to hurt the little guy anyways. And so that, I don't know, that's kind of a, we're at a so, very delicate part in history. So I it's think. the difference between how the government steps in to fix the economies versus social issues. So home ownership 
is sort of a social and economic issue. Yeah, that's but where the it policy that um, is supposed to target should be purely economic, uh, which but the government is not is. doing right now. They're they're saying you don't have ability to own a home, so we're going to do something. Um, instead of looking at the businesses saying, "All right, you cannot purchase large chunks of land and not." allow others to purchase it like because that's monopolizing Mm -hmm. to Um, a degree but now there's seven of them so it's not yes um (laughs) like the the threshold of monopolies is yeah i don't agree with it um and so that is how i think government should intervene is looking at how to regulate the market to be more free to where it's not all controlled by certain companies that it's everyone should be able to put their hand in it that's how the government should intervene in order to make revolution and to change. Uh, but again, this push for socialism, this hard push for socialism in the government is not going to work out. Um, people aren't going to be able to put their hand in the market. I can't put my hand in the market right now because of the government's doing their stupid um, interest rate hike. It's, the, it's but, the fastest rate hike in history. It's so, like, I can't even, I am a f- full professor. Yeah. I'm not a full professor. I am a, a full-time uh, um, employee assistant professor. Yeah. And I can't own a house. It's hard. Yeah. In Florida. In Tampa. Yeah. In Tampa, you can't own a house. If you go outside of Tampa, you can probably buy a house. Yeah. And then I have to drive hours to get to work, which 